Hello everyone and welcome to the Warp Source Podcast. I'm Gus. And I'm Sean. Together we're going to mix the grim dark with humour to make some grim humour. And our mission is to help anyone new to 40k better understand what it is. And if you're a veteran of the setting, hopefully we'll give you something to laugh at. So I'm with all the newbies out there and I know almost nothing about the 40k law. But I'm really excited to learn. And I'm here to help Gus. I'm going to expand your knowledge and anyone else who's new to the setting, just like the Silatrix Maledictum has expanded the influence of the Immaterium. And yes, I'm aware, you probably have no idea what that is right now. Exactly. Um, so you've told me that the 40k universe has been around for almost 40 years, so I bet there's loads to go over. There is a ton, and I can hold my hands up and say I definitely don't know everything, but anything I don't know, I will do the legwork and fill in the gaps for all of us. Sounds good. So just a w- small warning and that this might be a bit cringy for us. We are just starting out and this is our very first recording. But just before we get the party started, if you do find us entertaining, we do have our socials ready at Warp Saucy, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Details all in the show notes. Yeah, making all those socials. Good effort. Been fun. So with that out of the way, we're going to start at the beginning. So uh, I've had a Red Bull. It's quite late at night. Both of us have children. We can't help but do our recordings a bit later in the evening. But we are going to stay awake and keep you all entertained, hopefully, throughout this podcast. Now, at the start, a lot of the law in 40k in general, actually, is kind of written from the perspective of the race or faction that are writing the law. And this is no different. This is written from a very old racist perspective. It's a race that's very dear to your heart. You might shudder when I say the word Necron. <laughs> where, when they say the law um, from 40 million years ago, where did they, are re- they reading this from? Are they scrolls? Are there like uh, engraved carvings on a cave wall? Where, when people say, you know, this is as, as written by the Necrons, where, or the old ones, or whatever where is it where are they getting this information from a uh, face painting face painting spider spider-man batman that kind of thing space yeah that's right yeah 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 yeah. carnival they went to a carnival perfect yeah no they, yeah yeah they they basically so necrons you probably know a little bit about necrons because i mean you've got partly or um or mostly a necron army at least a thousand points i think you've got haven't you yeah exactly your necrons yeah at least yeah, so, so Necrons, um, they've got Tomb Worlds, which we'll get into when we kind of talk about their origins a little bit. And the Imperium and other races have stumbled across these Tomb Worlds because they, they kind of span the galaxy. And uh, yeah, there are writings that have, they've managed to decipher, you know, some of the writings and they've been told tales from other factions such as the Aldar, which we'll get into, or the Eldari, at some point in the future too. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, it's a bit of hearsay, it's a bit of kind of um, law written by the victors, or law written from a specific um, point of view, and we're going to go through this origin, the origins of the 40k universe, from the point of view of the Necrons. Yeah, it makes sense, almost kind of like the Egyptians, where their Necron glyphs were like the description of the early civilization. Yeah, and actually Egyptians is a, is a really good point because Necrons are kind of based on Egyptians. Yeah, I can see the similarities with the, um, the ships. Yeah, so we're going to go back a few moons, okay? There's been a couple of, couple of days have passed since the Necron origin started. So we're going to go back 60 million years, in fact, to talk about the origins of the Necrons. And actually, back then, they weren't known as the Necrons. They were known as the Necron Tier. Now, you've probably heard that term before. They're an interesting bunch, and they're ruled by a triarch of pharaons, headed up by a uh, sort of an overlord of sorts, or a kind of first amongst equals type character called the Silent King. Now, the Silent King is, like I say, first among equals, and he's called the Silent King specifically because he will not address his people he uses the other two pharaohs that sit beside him and they basically talk to the nobles and the nobles will go and talk to their lower downs and it kind of uh, shimmers across the population like that. So the Silent King, he's not voiceless, but he will only talk to the pharaohs on the Council of Three. He won't talk to anyone else. 
Do you think that there has ever been an occasion of Chinese whispers where he's whispered something to one of them, but it hasn't quite translated well? And instead of like, everybody have a party, they've interpreted it as must kill the universe. Yeah, or bring tequila instead of vodka or something to the party. Definitely. I mean, the Necrons, Necron tier, sorry, they're very kind of power hungry people, um, which we'll, we'll get into and talk a bit about that. Um, so yeah, definitely. There's probably been some occasions where a Silent King has said something and the wrong message has been sent out. It's probably not the best way to run a population, if I'm honest, or you know, a, a civilization. But it's how they do it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, you would you would want them to be a bit outspoken, but I can I can understand the mumble hustle. So the Necrontier, in general, are a bit of a a strife-stricken people. They uh, they're short-lived. And they, they live very excruciatingly painful lives, afflicted by a whole bunch of different ailments and cancers and stuff. Now, this is, this is boiled down to the fact that in their local star, where they originally um, evolved, it's got a high emission rate for ionizing radiation. And so this obviously interacts with their cells and stuff, and it's actually converted their cellular uh, makeup on a molecular level. So it's very difficult now for them to kind of escape this destiny, I guess. So they, they have very short lifespans because of that. And they kind of prize technology and advancement over the course of their life. They want to try and try and do what they can to be remembered because they're going to be dead for a lot longer than they're alive and they, never, they don't know when they're going to die either, so they're kind of striving every day, living every day to the fullest, living every day to progress their society and hopefully get a nice plaque somewhere on their home world. That's the idea. Do you feel that um, sun cream would have helped in this scenario at all? It's interesting, because the law does say they're technologically advanced, but yeah, they haven't even discovered sun cream yet, which yeah, m- maybe, you know, maybe. I mean, it is ionising radiation, so I guess sun cream is only going to do so much for you in that scenario but um yeah some sort of i don't know nano based sun cream that helps reflect some of the ionizing radiation lead sun cream lead sun cream oh excellent i like that yeah so actually their their home world is is in what is called the halo star system and it's called the halo star system because it's on the edge of the fringes of the milky way galaxy and so they, they literally live in a bunch of stars that are around the edge, away from the rest of the galaxy. They evolved on their own, kind of isolated, and, um, and were subjected to these, these stars or star with this emission of, of high intense radiation, which has caused them to kind of be in the state that they're currently in. Yeah, it makes sense, that isolation. So one of the really important so they made a number of discoveries obviously they're a highly advanced civilization highly advanced um, race of people and one of the most interesting things um, or, or groundbreaking things that they they made is a thing called Necrodermis now you probably, you probably heard of Necrodermis because it's in the rule book for your Necron army it's one of the things that allows them to regenerate once they take damage in a battle yeah I remember that um on a roll, on a roll of is it six or something like that? You're able to reincarnate the Necrons that have died. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's really annoying. As someone that plays the Necron army, uh, sorry, plays against the Necron army. Sorry, I've played against your army. It's really annoying. Everyone else that's listening to this, who's done that, will relate to this. It's <laughs> love it. It's a pain. Yeah, um, yeah. So Necrodermis is responsible for that basically, and this was a really big discovery because it allowed the Necron tier to build starships. That they were slow-moving starships. They had to go into cry sleep in order to traverse large distances, but they allowed, allowed them to make these starships that could repair themselves while they were making these very long journeys to kind of try and go out and populate other star systems with with the goal, ultimate goal, to try and escape their inevitable destiny that they were kind of facing of these short lifespans. So one of the underlining features of the Necron tier is they want to prolong their lives because they really don't live long and it's painful while they're alive. Would they have their time to travel intergalactically with these uh, two different starships given the fact that they you know, tend to pop their clocks quite quickly? Yeah, so they go into stasis, I think is, is what the law says. But yeah, there must be people that have got to stay um, uh, awake to kind of maintain 
you know, parts of the ships and things, and maybe they wake up intermittently. Um, they probably do go through, you know, a few generations maybe while they're going and making these journeys because they are not quick journeys. You're talking hundreds of years, I expect, um, maybe thousands of years in some cases getting to some of the star systems. So this was a bit of an issue because the way in which the Necron tier set up and the technology to kind of travel these, these large distances, they, they're all about um, expanding their population and uh, having this ruling triarch that kind of govern them. But when you're going over these massive distances, suddenly you're, you're no longer tethered to what that governing body says because they have no um, ability to enforce their rule. So a lot of the dynasties that kind of head out into the stars start to create their own um, ruling systems and um, start to rebel against the ruling triarch. And it's the first war, war of secession, so it's the act of those members um, or those, those rulers in these separate dynasties of the different stars that are you know, far enough away from their main system, they start to say, actually, we don't want to be part of this this group anymore and we're going to do things in our own way there's not much you can do to stop us really this was is this would you say a kind of necron civil war a war between their own fractions and different wanting leaders yeah it was it was yeah it is kind of because i mean the problem was they would they would basically be sent some orders maybe or there'd be some communication to do something and um as in the dynasties that have moved out from their main system and then they would, the triarch, ruling triarch would hear back, no, we're not doing that. And then uh, they would send out an army or something to try and, you know, quash this rebellion. And it would take them hundreds of years to get there. And by the time they get there, they're talking to their like grandson of the grandson almost. It's just, you know, it's not a very good way to uh, enforce your rule, I guess. Base is very big. Yeah. So I can imagine it takes a while to get anywhere. Yeah. Sublight speed. It is quite big up there. Yeah. So one of the other things that happened while they went out and started populating the stars was they met the old ones. They're kind of depicted as reptilian type race of individuals. And they're at least as old or, you know, maybe even older than the Necron tier. And they have comparable technology. It's actually kind of stated that the Necron tier probably are a little bit more advanced in some technology areas. But what the old ones have got up their sleeves is they are masters of biology. And so they have incredibly long lifespans and they uh, kind of take it on themselves to kind of nurture life and try and seed life. They're all about kind of um, a bit hippie, a bit hippie-ish. You know, they're trying to help things live their best lives. I know the type. I've seen the type, yeah. So I can imagine one has long life, one has short life. They've become best buds and it was happily ever after. Is that, is that how it works out? Of course. Well, I mean, the Necrons, they, they want a bit of this, yeah? They, they're seeing these long lives and they're like, oh, you know, we want, a, we want that too. You're comparable technology to us, so why can't we also live as long as you can? So they try and start, strike up a deal, do some talks with the old ones. The old ones see what the Necron tier are like and actually probably have seen them for a few generations at this point. And think we can't give this race of people this longevity because they just want to fight all the time and you know they're not they're not very civil if we give them long life then what would that result in ultimately so the old ones are thinking a bit further ahead than the necron tier at this point in time and uh, and yeah decide not to give them this uh, this lease of life that they want which also includes taking away you know the, the pain that they're feeling because the Necron tier are going through the stricken pain throughout their entire lives. Every day is a challenge for them, you know, to cope with this amount of um, pain and discomfort that they have as they're kind of going through life. Death's a release. They worship death. Do we know roughly how inhuman like, years a Necron tier would typically live? I don't think it's written anywhere. I, I, I mean, whenever I imagine this, I always think like 15 to 25 years. I think probably 25 wow. years is old for a Necron tier. That's, that's, that's just me. That's just kind of like what I make up when I'm, when I'm thinking of them. So yeah, very short-lived, but that's not a written rule. You know, they could die six years old or, you know, it it's, depends on what happens to them during their lives and how stricken with the cancers and things and how well their body fights it off. So they, they are literally born 
with horrific ailments. It's just not nice at all. Um, like I said at the start, I've got an 18 month old at the moment. Going through the first few months of her life and how much she was crying and keeping me up, I can't even imagine what Necron Tear babies are like. It must be horrendous. Yeah. Or do they, um, Necron Tear babies, like grow up really fast in like dog years, for example? It must be. It must be something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be, doesn't it? But yeah. So, so old ones say no. Necron Tear say, oh, that's not very nice. So. That results in an interesting move, should we say, by the Necronteer. So the ruling body, the Triarch, they're dealing with these wars of secession. The old ones now have said, we're not going to help you get over your ailments and give you longer life. So the Necronteer say, how can, how can we turn this to our advantage? Like at least a Triarch. How can we turn this to our advantage? And so they think, well, we could try and make a common enemy, common foe, for all the Necronteer to kind of unite against. And that'll stop the, the wars of secession, and we're going to absolutely annihilate the old ones and take the immortality for ourselves. So they do this, and it works. The dynasties that have broken off come back together, they unite under one banner, and they go after the old ones. What do you think happens, Gus? Well, it's interesting, because you, you would think that because of the Necronteer have slight technical advantage that they would they would come out on top with this this war um but then again they are in the midst of their own civil war so i guess that i put i put my money on the old ones coming out on top initially so the old one so actually the necronteer they win the first few battles they've got superior technology in some ways they've also they they've got they've been at war with each other so when you you know wars help with technological advancement especially with weapons and things so the necrons have some pretty good weapons that they use against the old ones they win the first few battles but then yeah you're right the old ones turn the tide and mainly due to the fact that they can maneuver way superior to the necrontier they use the thing called the webway, which we're going to do. Our next episode is going to be on the warp, and we'll talk a bit more about the webway then. But the webway is an um, extra-dimensional space that the old ones carved out millennia ago, and it allows them to traverse space in an instant. They can literally walk through a gate on one side, and they can appear on a planet the other side of the universe so they can traverse space in no time at all which means they can outmaneuver their foes and they just had no chance in the end that is one of the most convenient technologies i can imagine just in a blink of an eye appear anywhere like shopping will be done quickly yeah we need to get on the teleporter definitely but i mean it raises an interesting question are you yourself after you've done that i mean we're talking about something different here because you're not um with a web where you don't rematerialize as such you are yourself. You go into a dimension that has no time. We'll talk about this at some other point. But yeah, you go into a dimension that has no time and then you step out again into, a, into, a, into real space where time commences again. So it's a really strange kind of um, scenario. But I mean, traditional teleportation is a deconstruction of your, um, your atoms and then a reconstruction of them. So are they the same atoms? Or is it more like a quantum entanglement thing where you're transferring information? You know, it's interesting. Well, I mean, I'm sure we can do a whole podcast on consciousness and what does it mean. But just thinking on the teleportation side, if you were to deconstruct, do you necessarily need to deconstruct yourself to reconstruct? Could you just clone yourself every time you wanted to go somewhere? Well, exactly. And this kind of comes back to the question of, is it you? Because I mean, even a, you know, a millisecond or um, a few seconds, say, after you've rematerialized, your thought process will not be the same uh, or it might not be the same, should we say, uh, as the, pro- the thought process you had before you were deconstructed. So are you the same person? That's probably quite a short period of time, so you probably are at that point. But you get what I'm saying. It mm-hmm. kind of, um, there's a branching effect almost. So it's interesting. Yeah, and anyway, let's get back on topic, right? So, yeah, so um, Necrontier, they get pushed back to their Halo star systems. So they get pushed back to the fringes. The old ones aren't into extinction, really, so they leave them be. So they push them back, leave them there. They're no longer a threat. They're a minor inconvenience at best. We'll just 
keep them in check and, uh, and go about our business. So the Necron tier are isolated and this is over a reasonable period of time that they're left, you know, you're talking thousands of years. They've, they um, isolated for this caused their population to be a bit disgruntled against their ruling triarch. And so the second war of secession happened and uh, they start to you know, rebel against their rulers again. History repeating itself almost. Uh, it was around this sort of time when there was an interesting discovery that was found. So they begin to study their local stars and they found something interesting. What do you think that could be, Gus? Well, my first thought is, why didn't they look at their star a little bit earlier? I mean, this seems a, a very convenient time to start looking at the the, the, the local star that's given them all this jib. But um, I do know a little bit about the law, and I'm expecting at this point in time some kind of star god to appear uh, and uh, mix up the uh, mix up the universe a little bit. You've got it right. So you say star god, I say star manatee. Uh, some others say star vampire. Either way, it's a grazer on on um, star energy. So there are these beings called the Catan, and they're named the Catan by the Necrons or the Necrontier because that means star god in their language. So 100% nailed the name there. Definitely star gods. I say star manatees because they're kind of like they're at this point in time they're energy beings. They um, they wrap themselves around a star and then consume some of the energies from that star and they'll consume it over millions of years. Um, this does reduce the lifespan of the star, but the star still exists for a reasonable period of time. Obviously the Necron tier were able to evolve and are still existing now um, in that, in, you know, 60 million years ago now. Um, they're, they're, they're still existing and their star still being sort of consumed by a star god. So it takes a long time for the Catan to eat a star, um, which is why I think of them as manatees. They're sort of grazing on the star and then they'll float away and, and try and eat another one. You know, they just kind of move around the, the universe like this. Um, they're actually the oldest sentient beings in the universe because they were created at the Big Bang. So when, when the universe first came into existence, they were the first kind of um, sentient entities that also came to, into existence. And that's why they've got the most efficient means of, I guess, consuming energy. They don't have to consume it through eating living things like we do or plants that kind of photosynthesize. They take the energy directly from the star, kind of a photosynthesis, but a higher band of energy. So they're, they're grazing on the stars. They're having their fill. It takes a while, um, but they're loving it. They know nothing else. Energy beings. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty cool existence, just grazing on casual, massive gas suns. I mean, you can't even imagine being... I mean, they're colossal. You think how big the sun is? We can't even comprehend how big the sun is. You can't even comprehend how big you know, Eng England is, say, or the USA or you know, any of the continents. It's hard to comprehend how big it is. This is a massive thing that's consuming a star. It's as, you know, as big as a planet or bigger. Do we have the exact like rough dimensions of how big these are? Because you said mentioned a planet. I had a little tiny picture man next to a giant sun, but you were you thinking more of a giant planet size god eater, star eater? Yeah, because they they are like a, a a foggy cloud of energy being. You know, this this is what you're talking about. It's something that's not visible even to the, to human eye. Otherwise, Necrontier would have spotted it. <laughs> Oi, what's that hanging off the sun? <laughs> Bit cloudy today. Yeah, so I guess I'm guessing they exist in a different uh, frequency range to what the Necrontier and others could see. So they need some technology to even you know visualize what this thing is, and it's massive. So I'm guessing it looks like corona mass ejections or something that are coming off of the star. And it's just floating around, um, nom, nom, nom. This is a tasty bit of energy for me. Yeah, makes sense if it was kind of a cloud-type shape things. I mean, most Satan images have, like, some kind of body head things. That's why I was going with, like, quite a small thing. But I guess at this stage, this is before they kind of materialise into this kind of, what do they call it, a shard thing? Yeah, so we're going to talk about that. They don't actually... So, so what happens is... 
the Necrontier spark up a conversation with one of them. Don't ask me how. Oi. But they spark up a conversation. Yeah, oi. Oi, mate. That's how I start. <laughs> oi, mate. Stop eating our son. Yeah, it's something like that, um, roughly. I'm paraphrasing, but it's roughly that, you know. Uh, stop eating our son. Uh, can we do anything to help you perceive what it is we're talking about? Because you got to think, like, they're talking to an energy being that has no reference, point of reference, for a, a, a living flesh-type entity. So in order to help them gain this reference, they, again, this conversation... It's the sort of thing that it must have taken like several generations of Necrontier to even have this conversation with this being. But eventually they convinced it to inhabit a Necrodermis body. So they purpose made a Necrodermis body for this particular energy being to enter. And that gave it perspective, apparently. And it was able to converse a lot easier with the Necrontier and understand um, how, how they're how their lives were going, what their stripes were, and, uh, and, allow, and allowed it to manipulate them a bit in a way, and also call its friends over who could come and join the party. Yeah, yeah, it kind of makes sense. They're kind of like uh, little buddies now. I guess they can communicate with each other, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of an issue, though. So it was a critical fail. Putting them into necrodermis bodies was a bad idea. There was a particular Catan called the Deceiver. Called the Deceiver by its other Catan friends. Um, I don't know where. It's, it's interesting that they even had the concept of deception. I guess it must have tricked a few of them into leaving a, a sun early or something. Or something to do with consuming energy. These are primal beings that we're talking about here. Primal energy beings. But yeah, it had the name the Deceiver to its friends. The Necrontier weren't aware of it being called the Deceiver. And it basically convinced the Silent King, who is Sarek at this point in time, big, big name there, big character that we're going to go into in a bit. The Deceiver convinced Sarek to basically sacrifice his people. He didn't say those exact words, but sacrifice his people to make them immortal. So he is promising eternal life to the Necrontier, and with this eternal life, they're going to go and, and hit the, whole, the Old Ones hard. Because the Deceiver says to the Silent King, we've experienced the Old Ones in the past. They did us a bit of a disservice and, and beat us back in um, a previous war because we're consuming you know, suns that some sentient life was living around. This probably isn't true. It's not actually stated whether it is or it isn't, but the guy's called the Deceiver. It probably isn't true. But yeah, so he convinces the Silent King that putting each of the Necrontier into Necrodermis bodies to give them eternal life is a good idea. This seems almost like um, a, a short-sightedness from the Necrontier, right? Because they have these ships made of Necrodermis that can trans go across the star system. They've managed to put a, a Catan in a body of one. Why would they not have thought of before, hang on a minute, why don't we use this for our own body to like live a bit longer? I think they just didn't have that technology to do that. So they, they could put this energy being into an Echodermus body. And then it was actually the Catan who came with the way in which they would, they, they would achieve this. Right. Okay. I guess. So it was a bit, a bit of mysticism, obviously, um, you know, or, or something akin to mysticism around it. So the, they, uh, Necrontier have part of the technology to enable this to happen. And then the Catan say, we can add the other bit of technology you're missing to make this happen. This is called biotransference. So they're coming out of their biological forms and going into metal forms. And uh, there was only one of the ruling council that decided this wasn't going to be a good idea. So Orican the Diviner, who's someone who's still in existence now, was dragged kicking and screaming in, into the biotransfermus engine, which is, ironically, it's called a soul furnace. So, you know, alarm bells are ringing already. Sounds cosy. Cosy, at least. It's cosy, yeah. So there are a few, a few people, Orokin being the main guy that were sort of against it. And, um, but they, they got transferred into Necrodermis body regardless because they, they just got it done, with, you know, um, against their will in the end. So did um, Orkan, did uh, 
Divina eventually also have a necrodermis body. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. He got he got dragged kicking and screaming into the furnace. He didn't want it to happen. There were a few of them that didn't. Most of the Necrons here actually went with their own volition. You know, they 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 wanted it to happen, but then they were told a story that would happen to them by doing it, and it wasn't true. So by going into Soul Furnace, the real reason that the Katarn wanted this to happen was because they got a little bit of a taste, a little bit of a for souls. And apparently souls give off an energy all of their own, and it's like catnip to Katarn. They can't get enough of it, and it's more um, potent than the small, um, or the energies that they were assuming from a star that took them millennia. They could suddenly get a lot of energy from eating this sort of, this, these souls, you know, this catnip for Katarn. And, uh, and they were addicted to it, it sounds like, or at least, you know, they were getting loads of energy from it. So they wanted loads of this stuff and it was empowering them. So yeah, so they ended up genociding the entire Necrontier race and turning them into the race that we all know and love, the Necrons. Yeah, I can see how a little bit of uh, sugar helps the medicine go down. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of soul helps the medicine go down for sure. Cool, right, yeah, so, so they've all come out of the factory. <laughs> they've got some oil in their joints, and, uh, and they're ready to rock, right? And the, so the Gatan, they are creatures of the Materium, they are gods of the Materium. They can help the Necrontier develop technology that vastly increases their, um, their ship's speed and maneuverability. So they, they can't quite move as quick as a webway allows the old ones to move, but they can move pretty damn quickly across the stars now and they begin to just spread out from their local star systems and they are just annihilating everything they come into contact with all of the races in the galaxy they come into contact with the katana like hmm bit of tasty norsel here and they start tuckering in they don't put them through soul furnaces um in terms of like biotransference but they are going around and just sucking the soul out of all of the sentient life they can across the the uh, milky way universe do we know what um kind of life forms were around um that were completely destroyed by the Catan nipping at their souls do we know like anything about them so I don't yeah I don't know but I know there's there apparently there were a lot of different life forms that the old ones had either helped progress or they'd they'd seeded themselves um the old ones were obviously the main target for the Catan and the Necron Necrons they almost said Necron tier then we are dealing with Necrons now Necrons and Catan so we're dealing with living metal zombies, basically. That um, One of the things I forgot to mention, when they go through the sulfur furnace, it's a key thing. They, when they come out the other side, the majority of the Necron race now no longer feel any pleasure, any pain, any feelings. Their souls have been removed. So with that comes this, all of this experience, I guess, life experience. Um, so any kind of feelings that you'd you'd feel pleasure, pain, anything like that, they no longer feel. So the um, so Necrons now start to like march on the universe. Katana free willing eating people. Do like the old ones now like perk up a little bit and go? Hang on a minute, didn't we put you in your place a while ago? Do they start to get back involved now? Yeah, they do. So the old ones are doing their best to fight back. They are they're getting annihilated as well. To be honest, they're doing what they can. They're trying to fight every battle as it comes. They're obviously using their webway to outmaneuver where they can as well. But their weaponry is just superior. Their um, metal bodies are superior. The old ones, it's not looking good for them. So they take a decision, something that they don't take lightly. They decide to open up a bag of army, grow, and they decide to grow their own army, basically. So they start to seed life in certain areas of the galaxy that are hard for the, the Catan and Necrons to reach in small kind of pockets of the galaxy that are isolated and they start to grow things or, or start to build an army of Aldari. They are one of the key ones. Um, and they also had a few other um, uh, a few other soldiers they had in the mix. So 
just trying to think jacaro one of them so they're sort of um orangutan like techno like technological geniuses knib were another one and then the crawk who eventually devolved into the orc the crawk are especially interesting and we'll talk about them a bit more when we do an orc law video but the crawk are 15 meters tall and they're just armored beasts i can imagine when they have to take an airplane flight they get pretty cramped in those little seats <laughs> yeah i mean is the airplane even going to take off with one of them attached to it they're, they're the size of an imperial knight yeah well maybe may even slightly bigger you know it's yeah they're huge and there are armies of these things like charging across the battlefield imagine that it's just gonna it's probably creating earthquakes you know as they're like walking across the surface of a planet mm. it's just awesome are these crocs uh, available races because i haven't seen these as an army yet are they uh, no no they don't they don't exist in the 41st millennium the closest orc you're going to get to a croc at this point in time well there's, there's a couple of of examples there's the beast, which we'll talk about the beast at some point in the future. Um, he was he wasn't quite a crook, but he was what people some people refer to as sort of a prime orc. So instead of a primarch, which again we'll get to them as well at some point in the future, who are sort of the demigods of the human race, he was like a demigod of of um, the orc race. And the most recent one is Gasgor Armark Fracca who is the current... He's still an orc at the moment, but he's getting pretty close to becoming a prime orc. Uh, he's an absolute beast, charging around the battlefield. Gork and Mork are plucking him up and putting him into the most heavily contested areas, and he's just... He's off his tits and happiness at the moment. He's fighting every day in the worst battles. He's absolutely loving it. Anyway, he doesn't know anything about orcs. We're going to get to orcs. They're amazing. I'm an orc player, obviously, so slightly biased, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And obviously I'm a human, so I've got that side. <laughs> yeah. So the old ones were losing slowly, right? And they were sort of trying to bide their time, build up these other armies. Another key thing I needed to say about these these other armies they're building up, the key ones, so Aldari and the Krork, they were psychically attuned beings. Now, we've not really spoken about psychic energy in this podcast yet, but this is this is to do with the warp. So the warp is the inner immaterium. We're going to do a whole episode about the, the, the warp next, but just a few little pointers. So the immaterium is a psychic realm. It's described as, as almost like an, an ocean of energy that sits on top of our reality. And the old ones found out how to tap into this. They built their webways inside it, and it allows them to use almost like um, telekinesis or um, they can like, transmute lightning. You can fire lightning out your hands and stuff like that. So the immaterium is really cool. You can do a lot of stuff with it if you understand it like the old ones do. And they purposely built races like the Aldari who were very psychically attuned and could manipulate the warp to their will. And the Krork whose technology basically is based heavily i mean the aldaris are as well to a certain extent but the crocs technology similar to the orcs works because they believe it works so it's an amazing way to get around um your your kind of um your weaponry or your technology getting into the hands of your enemies because as soon as they get hold of it and they try and fire it or they try and use it it doesn't work because you don't you don't believe it works that's a great safety uh, safety mechanism it's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. And one of the, one of the key things, obviously, with orcs uh, that probably a lot of people know, they paint things different colours because they believe that causes a different effect. So the one that most people know is red. Obviously, you paint something red, what does it do? It goes faster, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Go faster stripes literally means, in this case, I will go faster. Yeah, literally does, does mean you go faster. There's loads of, like, I'm not going to get too far into it, but there are loads of little stories about orcs doing different things. One of them, um, there's a story about a bunch of orcs who uh, they, they, uh, they were fighting humans and the humans ran out of ammunition because there's so many orcs. So they basically made them run out of ammunition. They could not kill them anymore. And someone on the human side 
had an idea and decided to shout, like, point the gun at one of the orcs and shout bang and it fell down dead because <laughs> <laughs> they thought he was being fired so it almost works on the downside as well if they thought they were like being shot at or destroyed they would almost what die willingly or accidentally well i mean that that, that example is more of a joke but yeah it's that sort of thing though that if they believe it it's going to happen basically yeah that sounds funny and that's because of the psychic energies that the old ones have instilled in them. Mm. I can imagine they being... Well, that's probably one of, maybe one of the reasons why they're no longer here, if they've believed they've been shot at or defeated. They just suddenly give up money. Well, the Crook, they, they actually devolved. So the Crook... Um, we're going to get into this in a second, so let's not, let's, let's not jump the gun, right? We're going to get into this. So the Aldari and the Crook are now fighting alongside the old ones... They're trying their best to kind of hold on into a bit of a stalemate. Probably weren't doing too too badly um, until the Catan, and particularly the particular Catan was the Void Dragon, who's the Catan of technology. He or it worked out a mechanism to try and nullify the warp energies. So the Necrons and the Catan have no influence with the or or can't use the warp at all because they're soulless beings. I mean the katana are literally gods of the materium. They absolutely hate the warp. They can't do anything to interact with it. Um you know, natively. Uh and then the the Necrons have no souls. And the soul seem, it seems like the soul is the main thing that kind of ties uh races or um, beings to the warp. So they have no souls, they can't interact with it. But they made a technology to make this allow, or allow this to happen, and that technology is blackstone. So they made something out of these black, this blackstone called a dolmen gate or a set of dolmen gates. And the dolmen gates literally rent open the warp and allow the Necrons and the Catan to enter the warp and start to really take the fight to the old ones. Yeah, almost kind of like the stargates of the. Uh... Instant teleportation style deals. Yeah, kind of. I mean, the difference is they're not necessarily just transfer. It, it it's perceived by someone in the materium that they're literally transferring through one gate and coming out of another. But to anything that's in the warp or the webway, they're actually in there. It's a really weird scenario. You can't get your head around it really. But there's no time. You can still like interact with things but there's no time in there they're in there and there are literally like strongholds in there that the that the old ones have created and they start to go into these these strongholds and and annihilate the old ones yeah i could see how uh that would uh not look good for the old ones at this stage it's going downhill big time i mean something that kind of helps them a little bit is in the webway they instilled a sort of a security system of, of sorts so anything that makes an entry into or shouldn't be in the webway the webway almost aggressively attacks that thing that's in there or that that rent into their space so it's trying to all the time the dolmen gates are open the webway is actively trying to close those gates and then it's almost described as a labyrinth so it will shift around its configuration to try and kick these 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 um, foreign bodies out of it, like an immune system. Yeah, like a little antibodies that fighting against it, maybe. Yeah, it's something like that. I mean, it doesn't go into loads of detail on it, but it's something like that. It wants to eject these foreign bodies that shouldn't be there. So, yeah, the old ones are kind of going downhill fast. They're almost wiped out at this point. And then they're kind of fighting with the Aldari and the Crook. And the Aldari and the Crook aren't doing too bad at all, actually. They're very psychically empowered. They were kind of bred for this purpose, to fight against the Catan and the, uh, the Necrons. So the Catan, at this time as well, they're kind of running out of food. So the Aldari and the Crook are fighting against the Catan and the Necrons. The katana are only there really for a meal. That's all they're there for. They told this lie to the old the um they told the lie to Necrontier that they were gonna want to fight the old ones and destroy them. They were almost dead. There wasn't a you know big deal there, but the katana the whole time just wanted to 
have a smorgasbord of souls. That's all they wanted. So they were basically in every battle to get some food and the food sources were drying up. So our old mate, the deceiver, came up with an idea and he convinced some of because he actually wasn't one of the stronger Catan, he convinced a couple of the other Catan what would be a really good idea is if we went over and consumed some of the other Catan, so some of our friends, as a nice, nice like big meal um, that's going to empower us and we don't have to worry about these little kind of norsels anymore because they're full of souls, you know, all these, all these Catan. So the, what, the Catan that he convinced, the Nightbringer and the Void Dragon, they were down for it and they then went and started turning against their allied Catans. And consuming yeah, them. Yeah, this is uh, this is not going to look go down well, is it? Start eating themselves. Yeah. So they're now having a bit of a civil war alongside these other wars they're fighting, just because I don't think they see the other races as a you know a big issue. Um, and they're there for food. You know, like I say, that was their primary objective the whole time was to get some food. So they start to consume each other, and the Necrons. Or the, or the Silent King specifically, seeing this as a golden opportunity to turn against the Catan who had enslaved them, enslaved his entire race, and kind of warp, wiped out their, um, their heritage, their way of living before they went into the Necrondermus bodies. And uh, he, he decides that we're going to now turn around and we're going to completely obliterate the Catan. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like the next logical step in the process. Why not? So to do this, they've obviously got some pretty hefty weapons that they've been developing. And actually the Catan have helped them develop some of these weapons. So he starts to turn these weapons onto them. And the Catan, the thing to understand about them, I know I've said this a couple of times, they are gods of the Materium. And because of that, they can't be destroyed. It's almost like you're destroying a bit of reality if you do that. So they can't destroy them. The next best thing is to obviously put them into prisons, which is what you said earlier, the shards, you know, the uh, Catan shards you can use on the tabletop. That's what they were turned into. Yeah, yeah, some pretty f- um, funky looking models there was uh, shards. Oh yeah, really good. I'm not, not really that bothered about the Nightbringer one. Um, but yeah, some of them look, look absolutely awesome. They, they, I mean, the shards, they're either used for, they, they use them as weapons, obviously on the battlefield, or batteries. So they just turn them into lithium-ion batteries, basically. They're going to power all their equipment. The, uh, in fact, the Silent King on the tabletop, his uh, monolith thing he sat on, that's a katan at the back of him on that model that's powering all of his weaponry in his throne. So he's actually got a shard on his throne that's powering all of his stuff. He can plug his, his mobile in, you know, whatever. I bet that lasts for a long time. Yeah, actually, it doesn't say. Well, it must be infinite power, I guess. But, um, yeah. It lasts for a while, I think. I mean, it's, well, it's been a long time. The Silent King, we're going to talk about this in a second. In fact, yeah, we'll talk about, we'll talk about this in a second. We're very close to the end now. So the, so the Catan, or the Necrons could succeed in shattering the Catan and taking these shards, um, using them as they want to for weapons, for power, um, toothpicks, I don't know, whatever else they're using them for. And they experience the next thing so they've got rid of the Catan actually probably along the, along the sort of same time as this some warp entities come into the scene called the Enslavers now they don't sound good like it's not a very good name the Enslavers they, uh, they basically their, their whole deal is they came into real space from the warp they're like a warp entity that evolved in the Immaterium and as the name suggests they take control of uh, the various species of the galaxy, and they're they're a plague because one of them will control hundreds, or if not thousands, of other entities, and then it will lay a or or create anything that's like any one of these entities that's warp sensitive. It will use them to create a portal for another enslaver to birth another enslaver into the materium. So it spreads exponentially. This sort of um, enslaver plague and it's not a good time to exist in the Milky Way galaxy when this happens so you've got currently you've got Catan that are sort of being wiped out or they're, they're fighting on all sides trying to consume anything they can fighting with the Necrons the Necrons are also fighting stuff 
You've got the Eldari, who are trying to push back as best they can. You've got the Krork, who are pushing back. There's battles, massive battles happening all over the place. And then these, these warp entities come into the picture and just start mind-controlling everything. It's, uh, it's not a good idea. So, after the last Catan was shattered, or the believed to be the last Catan was shattered, the Silent King took a look at the galaxy, said, this is a mess. Um, one thing we do have on our sides as Necrons is time. So, what we're going to do is we're going to construct some tombs that we're all going to go into in lots of planets spread across the galaxy. And we're going to go to sleep and we're going to wake up when all these other races have, um, they no longer exist or they're in their sort of twilight years. And then we just annihilate them and we'll take back the galaxy for ourselves. These, so these enslavers, were they, oh, I don't know if we're going to cover this in a, maybe a future podcast, but are they still around now in the present day um, Warhammer universe? They are, and actually they've taken, they've almost like evolved in the time they've been in existence. So they're not quite the same, they're not quite as potent as they once were. Now, that evolution could be because the warp is very different back then to what it is now in the 41st millennium. But either way, they still exist, they still incur into space and cause an issue, um, but it's not as much of a plague, I guess, as it was back then. It was uncontrollable. They're primal things, these enslavers. You know, they come into real space and there's no other reason to exist than just to consume these humans they're mind controlling and then birthing in new, new enslavers. That's all they do. So were the Necrons unable to like uh, take them on? Is that why the main reason why they went to sleep for a bit? So the Necrons don't like the warp and the energies that they're producing, but the enslavers can't mind control a Necron either. So I think the enslavers probably have other defenses that the Necrons probably didn't want to fight if they didn't have to. But then they still had the Aldari to contend with. The Necrons have a finite amount of, of Necrons. You know, there's not like infinite number of, of robots. I know they can repair themselves, but they can also still be destroyed if they're damaged enough. So it was just the best strategic move the Silent King could do, which was just to tell his, populate, his, his people, go to sleep. He didn't tell them to, he commanded them to via the command protocols. I don't know if I mentioned earlier, actually, when they came out of the furnace, they lost their soul. They were um, instilled with a set of software, I guess, that allows the higher-ups in their hierarchy to control them. And basically, the higher-up you go through the hierarchy of ranks in the Necron tier at the time, that's the amount of sentience you retain. So the Silent King has full sentience. Um, he, ha he still has no feelings because he has no soul, but he has full sentience and control over himself. And as you go down through the ranks, there are sort of different levels of control, but the lower downs have no control. You know, they get told what to do via a set of binary protocols and that's it. They go and do it, which is another eerie thing. So when they're on the battlefield and they're fighting, you've got this army of metal soldiers that are walking towards you and they say nothing. There's no chatter. There's nothing you can hear. You can just, well, all you can hear is their weapons firing. And, and they'll get, I guess, the marching, you know, metal against stone or whatever they're marching on. How eerie is that? Yeah, almost like a Terminator army coming towards you, like unwielding, untalking, relentless. Pretty cool. And, and, and originally, that's what they were based on. Originally, the Necrons, they had very little lore. Um, it's only over the past few years that they've, they've really been fleshed out properly. But originally, that's what, exactly what they were based on. Um, to the extent, I think that their um, reanimation protocol in the, the rule book, I can't remember what edition it was now, but it's one of the early editions, was I'll be back. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So just on a recap, the, at this point, are the old ones completely gone now uh, at this point? So the law says there was one old one that was left. And so the Silent King told his people to go to sleep. And then he decides that he's basically caused the destruction of their race by agreeing for the Catan to do what they did. And so he severs the command protocols, give back whatever sentience can be obtained again from the Necron tier. So he now has to communicate and barter with them and convince them to do things. He can no longer just say, go and do this thing. And he takes an, uh, I guess a leave of exile himself and travels out into the void. 
So he doesn't go to sleep. Him and I guess a close cohort of his his guard go out into the void to go and explore what li- what exists beyond the Milky Way. And he leaves his whole race asleep, and they're going to wake up some point in the future and take back the galaxy at that point in time when they wake up. There is only one old one left, and he apparently or it floated around a bit, dabbled here and there with a few races. And um, apparently helped either spawn or change, I guess, the um, evolutionary trajectory of the human race. So he floated around a bit, did a bit of dabbling, and then who knows where he is now, or it. it either out into the void somewhere, or maybe back into the webway, into a, into a secret labyrinth that's within the webway that no one else knows about. Ah, cheeky little who's my daddy kind of scenario, I guess. If you like. (laughs) So that is pretty quick recap. I say pretty quick. I mean, it's taken us over an hour to get through that. But um, that is a pretty, that's pre-seed version. Very kind of top overview of the origins of the Necrons and the 40k universe. Because if... The Silent King hadn't done what he'd done at the time with the Necrons. If Sarek hadn't made these decisions, and this is why Sarek's such a key character, if he hadn't made the decisions to turn the Necrons in, or sorry, Necron tier into the Necrons, then 40k as we know it today wouldn't be 40k. So that one decision has caused everything else to happen throughout the histories of, of Warhammer. Cool. So I guess at this point, there um, Necrons are asleep. There's one old one. Uh... The silent chap is having a bit of a road trip and I guess a lot of time passes before is there is there many events between that where we are then into the modern day I know it's the 30k uh or seriously kind of stuck deal but is there, there are many events that happen between that there's a major event yeah. that we're going to get into when we talk about the war perfect perfect time to to leave on a cliffhanger certainly is I hope you, yeah, hopefully, you know, there's some stuff in there that I know you wouldn't have known about before we had this, this chat, you know, doing this podcast. So I'm really hoping that this continues and I can bring you along your journey because I know you're, you're really interested in the law. I just, I just don't think you've got the time to, you know, read about it and, and learn it. So I'm, I'm really happy we're sat here and we can, we can talk about it like we are talking about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And some of the things I'm looking forward to is when we talk about Pacific um, people or or Primarchs and and their Pacific journey because I find that quite interesting of like what they've done like individually wise and we've covered a lot here about the background but th- those are things that I'm quite looking forward to. Yeah, and the 40k law is is so good. It's so rich. Like you know, there's so many books out there that tell lots of different stories in lots of different ways as well. Like you've heard this particular tale of the war in heaven. And the encounter with the old ones and the Eldari and the um, Crook and these other races, but actually, if you go and look at the Eldari, they've got a different take on it. So it's really, really cool way of explaining lore, writing it from a certain perspective. And history is obviously written by the victors as well. There's some of that to, to coming into play. There's a bit of bias in there with a lot of the lore writings. It's just a really cool way to lay out your universe. So I think Games Workshop do really well with the 40k universe the 40k law and it keeps me tethered to this hobby yeah i do like the the fact that it's evolving over time um, and there's a lot of space for the law to grow past few years they've uh, they've you know they've been expanding it massively so it's it's really cool it's an awesome time to get into 40k perfect cool so would you say that wraps us up for today uh we, we covered quite a bit there it definitely does yeah i've covered i've covered what i can um Anyone that, that thinks differently to anything I've said, I probably, you know, there may be some mistakes in here. Um, but yeah, just let us know on one of our social media pages or whatever. Try and correct and, and get people into the right mindset. Help people understand. This is all about, you know, having fun, understanding what we can about the law. And uh, if there were a few errors in there, I apologize for that. But I've tried to make it as accurate as I possibly can in the time we've got. As we said, we would start first podcast, so a bit ropey, but I'm sure we'll get better. But hopefully when we release this one, as you listen to this one, there should be others at the same time. Maybe our interesting story and maybe the one about the warp too. You should have you there to listen to it one go. 
Yeah, definitely. That's the plan anyway. Cool. So that wraps up the podcast for today. Hopefully you found it entertaining enough to join us next time. Don't forget to catch us on our socials at Warp Saucy. See you next time. Bye.